If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to uh, the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20 is where we will uh, pick up. We're in our uh, second week of our summer series called uh, The Ten Commandments. Not that we called it the Ten Commandments, somebody else called it, and we're just picking up on that. So the Ten Commandments are what we're looking at over the next uh, ten weeks. We're in uh, week two, and uh, I know last week Pastor Mark introduced that and kicked it off and uh, looked at the idea and set set the stage and looked at the, the idea that there is no God other than the Jehovah God that we worship. And this week we come to um, Exodus chapter 20, verse 4, and we'll pick up with the second commandment that God gave to Moses. And if you remember, God gave these commandments to Moses so that the people, God's people, would understand and know how to live in community with God. This is what it means to live with God. If you are going to be my people, if you are going to follow my ways, if you are my chosen people, this is how you should live with me. And in a moment, we'll get into Exodus chapter 20. Last week, um, as you guys were looking at that, my wife and I were not here. We were, we were on a, a business trip, if you will. We were in Washington, D.C., and uh, I had the opportunity to meet with two uh, with leaders from two different churches, uh, interviewing them about how they do their small group ministries. Because in the fall, what's coming up in the fall here at First Lines is we're going to relaunch and rebirth our small group ministries in a fresh way and, and ask everybody to join in and jump on board and, and experience uh, big church in small ways, if you will. And uh, we're going to relaunch that in the fall. So I was doing some reconnaissance work and checking out those places and uh, they happen to be in Washington, D.C., and fitting for this weekend as I reflect back on that, you know, you can't go to Washington and just go to business meetings. When you go to D.C., you have to go see the sites, right? So we went and uh, we had a little bit of downtime here and there, and we got to see the sites. We got to see a little more of Washington than we wanted to. Have you ever driven in Washington? And tr- yeah, we got to see a little more than we wanted to, but that's okay. We, uh, we made it back and we made it home. Just fine. Washington's beautiful. I don't. Uh, if you're a history buff, or if you like anything that deals with our military or patriotism or things like that, or government things like, you've got to go to D.C. If you've never been there, it is just a great experience. I don't care what I, what side of the aisle you sit on in Congress. The, the deal is, you should go and check it out. It's just amazing. The city, just just from an artistic, aesthetic point of view, is just beautiful. And um, when you go there, you got to go see the monuments, right? You got to go see the Washington Memorial. You got to go see, at least drive by the Capitol. You can, you can drive by and see the White House through the trees from afar. You can, uh, uh, you know, we, we uh, drove by and saw the Lincoln Memorial. In April, we were actually in D.C. too. My aunt lives in Frederick, Maryland, and we were down there for spring break. And we took the kids for a day into D.C. and we walked all of that. And so we got up close. We, my wife and I didn't feel the need to get up close to that stuff this time. But we uh, at least drove by and saw those things again. Just, just beautiful. Um, and the one thing that we didn't do in April that we were sure to do this time is we went to Arlington, right? And if there's, there's anything in D.C., especially as we reflect on this weekend, if there's anything in D.C. That, you, that I would recommend to do, I'm going to say you should do, but take it for what it's worth, that you should do, you got to do Arlington. Just the image 
of Arlington itself, even if you don't buy the tour and everything, walking on the grounds and understanding what the row after row after row after row of white tombstones means to our country and to our nation. The fact that we can gather here this morning is a testament not only to God's grace, but the lives that were sacrificed of men and women who served their country that are now resting in Arlington. And it's just an amazing thing. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I've never served in the military, um, but I'm very, very sympathetic to those who have. My grandfather served, my uncle served, and I have the utmost respect for our servicemen and women. Uh, they do a great job. And for me to go there, you know, it's one of those that it's almost, it's, it's emotional at times. If you get caught in that caught up in it and really stop to think about it, it's, it's emotional. And so we went and we did Arlington. And of course, when you're at Arlington, you know, you, you got it. There's two things at least that you have to do, right? You got to go see Kennedy's gravesite. So we did that. And then you have to go see the changing of the guard. Just an, an awesome, um, again, powerful um, event to watch happen. And uh, you get, it's just, it's just magnificent. And then when, we, when you leave Arlington, if you've ever been there, when you leave Arlington, and my wife and I were commenting on this, the, the, there's, there's, on the street where you go out, there's these pillars. And, and on the pillars, on top of the pillars, are these, these images made of stone and of, of bronze. And I think we were told that they reflect the symbols of each military branch. And they're, they're seated on these pillars as you drive down the street, you're exiting Arlington, Arlington's behind you, the Lee House is up on the hill and you're driving down the road past all these images and directly in front of you is the Lincoln Memorial and of course beyond that is, is the, the Washington and the Capitol and just to see this view and to take it all in, it's, it's, it's breathtaking and to see these images that are carved out of stone and metal representing what, what our men and women have gone through, it's, it's, it's beautiful. And if you're not careful, you can get lost in the beauty of the image and soon forget what the image actually represents. If you're, if you're not careful, you'll get lost in the beauty of the monument and forget what the monument actually represents. And if you're not careful, you'll stand and be amazed and awed, especially if you read the history of the honor guard at Arlington. If you go and watch the ceremony of the changing of the guard, you will be awed if you're careful at the ceremony and not what it represents. And if you're not careful, you'll forget that these men and women gave their lives for a cause and you'll forget the cause as you reflect on the perfectly lined tombstones. As we go to Exodus chapter 20 and pick up here in week two of the Ten Commandments, we get to the, the commandment, and we'll read it in a moment, that has to do with idols and images. And God speaks directly to His people warning them not to get lost in the image, not to get lost in an idol so that they would forget who God is. Let's read this together, or listen as I read these verses. Exodus chapter 20, verses 4 through 6. 
You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. Again, keep this in context. The idea of the Ten Commandments was that they were given as instructions for God's people so that they would know how to live and to act as God's people, as God was walking with them, as God was leading them from captivity into a new promised land to where he wanted them to be. God said, as I walk with you and as you walk with me in community together, this is how you should live. You've just come from a land that was filled with images, that was just filled with idols, where people bowed down and worshipped an image. You are now, some of you have only known that part of your history. And now I'm bringing you to something new, to something more, to something that I am doing for you. I have freed you from your captivity and am now leading you in freedom to a promised land a land that I am providing for you, a way of life that I desire for you. And as God's people, this is how you should live. You remember the idols that were in the former land, you as my people. And we today as God's people are not to even craft or make an image that we would then place in our homes and bow to and worship as God. We are not even to craft it or to make it. You're coming from a land where you've experienced all of that. Even though we live in a time and a place where there are images and idols crafted all around us, even though that every other home in the cul-de-sac has an image or an idol on their mantle that their family turns to or bows to or worships to, regardless of the environment or the people that are around you, you, as God's people, as my people, you are not to create images or idols. You are not to craft them. You are not to pick up a piece of stone to chisel. You are not to pick up a piece of wood to whittle and make into an image or an idol that you would worship as though you were worshiping me. I thought it was interesting, and I didn't unpack this in the first service. I'm not going to unpack it now, but just mention it. Maybe you can unpack it later. I think it's interesting when he says, you shall not make for yourself You shall not bow down to them and you shall not worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sins of the parents of the third or fourth generation of those who hate me. And aligning aligning the hatred of God with the worship of idols. And then aligning the love of God that those who love me are the ones who keep my commandments. You can dissect that later at home around your lunch table. I'm sure that will be a good conversation. But he says, as my people, you shall not make an image or bow down to an image or worship 
an image. It's interesting to me how God speaks here to Moses. Not even craft it. Don't, don't, even, don't even pick up the stone to begin to work on it. Don't even pick up the piece of wood to begin to whittle it away. Don't craft it. Don't make it. Don't create it. Don't build it for yourself. Because when you stop to think about it, if you're going to create an image, picking up the stone and beginning to shape it, as soon as the chisel is struck on the stone, you are imprinting on that stone an image that you have already designed. There is something in the artist's mind that is already defining what this image will look like. There's something in the artist's mind that has said, this image will look like this. And they begin to craft it and they begin to strike it and they begin to whittle it away. And God says, don't even begin to work on it. Don't even allow your mind to form an image of who I am. Worship me alone. It's one thing to pick up a piece of stone. It's another thing to begin to chisel it and to form it. There's something in the mind's eye that is already there for the artist to begin working on that piece. The artist has defined the object. The artist, as he crafts it, manipulates the object into the image that he has already cast. And in so doing, the artist limits the object to what it can do and how it can function. Three distinct acts. Three distinct acts taking the transcendent creator and making him temporal and the object of creation. Imagine that. The creator being formed and crafted by his own creation. The creator being told, this is who you are. This is what I see of you. The underlying problem in in idol worship is that we are content. We are content to replace who God is with our own understanding, with our own will, with our own desire, with our own idea of who God ought to be. doesn't matter who God actually is. This is who I think God ought to be. And so I begin to craft that image. That's the problem with with idol worship. Anthony Tomasino reflects on this and and in effect says that one of the problems is just that the artist has already defined the image of God. With limited eyes and, and limited minds and limited experiences, what we know of God is not necessarily wrong in and of itself. I mean, this is the life that we have lived is the sum of the experiences that we've been a part of. And so as we've sought God and as we've looked for God and as we've been taught about God in our past and in our history, what we've experienced in and of itself is not necessarily bad. A.W. Tozer, in fact, writes that what we believe about God, how we define God, how we think about God is the most important thing about us. 
So in our mind, trying to understand who God is isn't necessarily bad. The danger is when we think our image of God is the only image of God. God is continuing, however, to reveal himself to us as we live. In each new relationship, in each new environment we're placed in, in each new experience we have, if we're aware enough, we will see how God reveals himself to us. We will see God in new ways with different people that we meet. We will see God in new ways in different environments and places that we visit. We will see God in new ways in different experiences that we have at different seasons in our life. It is very dangerous to define God at one given moment in time and say this is who God is. And yet when we make an idol, that is what we do as artists. We define him. We define this image of God. We define what God is all about. As soon as we pick up that that hammer to chisel the stone or the knife to whittle the wood, we have defined who He is. But we just sang that He is unimaginable, that He is beyond us, that He is beyond this galaxy. We read in scriptures that God is uncomprehendable. By nature, He reveals Himself to us. By His Word, He reveals Himself to us. There is something to be discovered about God. God is to be discovered, not defined. We cannot ever, this side of eternity, and I would argue the other side of eternity, we could never define God. God is the creator of the universe. Who are we to pick an image and mold it and make it and define God? One of the problems in defining God is that the image is incomplete. We can't even begin to understand him. We can't even begin to understand the nuances of God's ways. I don't even understand calculus. How in the world am I going to define God himself? God is someone that is to be discovered. The other problem with our own definition of God is that for many of us, it'll be tainted. Ask the... uh, Ask the woman who was abused by her husband to define God as love and it'll be tainted. Ask the person who was def- um, ab- abused by their father growing up to define God as father and that image will be tainted. Ask someone who's been through the, the rigors of of divorce in a home and to define God as the comforter and peacemaker and that image could be very tainted. We we can't even begin to describe God. We can't even begin to understand all of who He is. The problem with a crafted image is that it is defined by the 
artisan. Yet the New Testament continually tells us that, that we are to conform, we are to conform to the image of Christ. We are not to ask God to conform to our image of Him. We are to conform to His image. Paul writes to the church in Corinth, this, this church who in their culture and in their community was surrounded by idols. He says to these people in the church there, and we, we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory, we are being transformed into His likeness. We are to be like Him. The path of our Christian walk. If we are to be Christ followers, if we are to be God's people, then we are changed into His image. We as the creation do not pick up a stone and pick up a piece of wood and craft God in our image. We are to reflect Him. Not only does the artist define the image in idol worship, but the artist also manipulates the image. This piece of wood or stone, once it's finished, is, is defined by its frame. And we can now manipulate what happens to it. If we want to, we can place this image and this idol on our mantle. If we want to, we can take this image and place it on our nightstand and allow it to watch over us as we sleep. If we're driving in the car with our wife or our spouse and we're unsure of their driving habits or ability, we could take a piece of well-chewed gum and put it under the idol and affix the idol to the dashboard, allowing us to feel safe and secure as our wife drives us or husband or however See, we can manipulate the idol. We can place it wherever we want it. And if we're a business person who goes on a trip, and we don't want God to see what we're about to do on that trip, we can leave that idol at home and go do whatever we want. You see, because in our mind, we've crafted God into an image. We've defined Him in this idol. And we can now manipulate the situation. Our faith, this, this walk that we have with God, now is a chess match. Where I'm staying one step ahead of God. I'm staying one step ahead of Him to see so that he responds and reacts the way I want him to. If I take the idol and I move it over here, I've done so because I know that God then has to do something for me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to live my life this way because I know that if I do that, then God has to answer me that way. Because it says, right? It says that if I, then, then it's a manipulation. We don't really worship God for who he is we worship this 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 image of god and when we begin to manipulate him what we are actually doing is we are content to replace his authority in our lives 
we're content to say that, that God, I know, I know you're powerful and I know you have authority, but, but I've defined you this way and now I'm going to place you over here and I'm going to replace your authority with my will, with my desire, with my hopes, with my dreams. But our faith was never meant to be a bargaining chip. When we said yes to Christ, there was no ultimatum on the table. God's grace, God's grace that saves us through our faith in Him, God's grace was never meant to be manipulated. In Galatians, Paul writes, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh, to manipulate the situation, whoever sows to please their flesh, will from the flesh will reap destruction. And whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. So when we create God as an, cast God as an idol, we, we define Him. And then we can then manipulate Him. The other problem is that when we do that, we also limit Him. Because this image that we've crafted, this idol that we've designed, will only do what we've created it to do. It will only act in the way that we've created it to act. It won't be able to move or do anything beyond our own definition and manipulation of it. It's limited. The idol is simply limited. And what we have done is we have become content to replace his sovereignty and his power. We're content in our world to replace God's sovereignty, his will and, 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 and direction and authority in our lives. We've replaced that. We've replaced his power, the God of all creation who wants to move in our hearts with life-changing power, metaphor, metamorphosis power to change your life. We've limited him. And we've said, nah, you know, I, I'm good with God and I'm good with Jesus, but the whole metamorphosis, the whole changing, you know, I'm going to limit you there. I, I kind of like the life I'm living, so we're going to worship, singing, reading every now and then. I'm good with that. Change behavior as I understand more of God. Yeah, you know what? That doesn't match my image of God. And so we are content to replace His sovereignty and we are content to replace His power in our lives. And what we've done is we've, we've crafted and we've created a God, an image, an idol of God who's just our pal. He's our buddy. He's our friend. Not friend in the Old Testament proverbial sense of friend where there's depth to that, that passage. But friend like, you know, you're going to call up and, and, you know, go have some chicken wings with and watch the game. Hey, man, what's going on? If I talk to you for a while, great. If I don't, man, we'll catch up sometime. That's what we've, that's, that's the image of God we've created because we've limited you know, don't get too close in my life. Because that's not my image of you. My image of you is not 
to really speak deeply into my heart. In the Chronicles of Narnia, C.S. Lewis wrote about Aslan, the lion who represents Christ. He wrote these words, quote, Afraid? I should say you would be afraid. After all, he's not a tame lion. But in our image of God and what we've decided to do with him, we've tamed him down. We've whittled and crafted a God who's powerless to do any real change in our hearts and in our homes. And when we do that, it's destructive. Listen to Paul's words to the church in Rome. Verse, chapter 1, verse 18. It says this, The wrath of God is being revealed. Why is the wrath of God being revealed? It's being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth. They suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them. They know who God is. We know who God is. We know how powerful He is. But we suppress that. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. For although they knew God, they, although, although they knew Him, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him. No glory, no thanks. We know God, yeah, our buddy, our pal, our friend, that guy who's there. But in my limited image of Him that I've etched for myself, I don't really, I don't really know Him. I don't really thank Him. I don't really glorify Him. I just know about Him. But their thinking became futile. And their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. And in verse 23, they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images. Made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. See, we're content to replace his power to replace His glory and worship an image. God is to be discovered, not to be defined. God is to be honored, not to be manipulated. God alone is to be worshipped, not the objects of God, but God Himself. You know, as we think about this, this today in, in, in our culture and in our life, you know, many of us probably don't have idols sitting at home that we bow down and worship to. Just the general nature of the Western Christian church, we, we probably don't have a, a, a stone or wooden idol that, that we've put up in our house that we in the Christian church have bowed down and worshiped to. So, so where's the connect? 
first of all, I, I think that one connect is this. It gives us a point of discussion. It's an entry point for those who are outside of the faith, those who are coming from different belief systems, where they do, even today, you would go to their homes and they have idols in their homes that they worship. This is a connection point. This is a topic that we can share with these people and have a conversation on. God, God is not an idol to be defined. He is not an idol to be manipulated. He is not an idol that we can limit. God is all powerful. And so as we step out of our comfort zone and we begin to have discussions with people who are of other faiths, this is at least a a connection point. Further, I think for us today, one of the questions that we have to ask is, is this. Have we crafted in our own mind an image of God that limits Him? Have we crafted in our own mind an image of God where we can manipulate Him? Have we crafted in our own mind an image of God that defines who God is? God is this way in my life. I know to worship God in this manner. I know to to worship God in this way. If you want to pray to God, this is how you pray to God. And in our own minds, we've crafted an image of God that limits Him, that manipulates Him, that defines Him. And we've stopped searching for Him. We've stopped looking for Him. God is a God to be discovered, not defined. And in that pursuit of discovery, sometimes He blows away the image that we had in our mind of who God is. He enlightens us. He brings us to new realities. He opens our mind to see who He really is. Imagine it this way. Imagine growing up in Erie County your entire life and never moving and understanding that the God of creation created Erie County. This is who God is. When I look around me in Erie County, this is who I know God to be. With all of the snow that we get, He must be a God of vengeance. But with the beaches and the water, He's a God of love and compassion. Now imagine visiting the Grand Canyon for the first time. Have you ever been there? Unimaginable. That's God. That's our Creator. And now your mind opens up and, ah, I never knew that. Now I see God in a different way. Have you ever visited Niagara Falls and watched the power and the roar of the water? Have you ever eaten spaghetti on the streets of Rome? Have you ever walked the Colosseum? Have you ever sat in the gondola in Venice? This is God. Beyond what we can imagine. Beyond what we can even dream of. Have you ever smelled the water in the air in the Pacific? Unbelievable. This is our God. 
God to be discovered if we would live with eyes wide open? Are we willing to live our lives wide open to what God has for us? Of how He wants to be defined in our lives? Are we willing to say to Him, God, would you show me today with whatever I do, with wherever I go, with whoever I encounter, will you show me one more glimpse of you? And I guarantee you He will. Because what I find to be interesting about this whole idea of of the image of God is that the only image of God that seems to be acceptable in His eyes to reflect Him is you and me. In Genesis it says, God created man in His own image. God created us to reflect His love and His compassion and His grace. God created humanity as a reflection of who He is so that as we meet and greet each other and as we walk in community and as we grow in faith, I can see a glimpse of Christ in you. And you, if I'm growing and developing, you can see a glimpse of God in me. Jesus, in fact, expanded on this in Matthew chapter 25. And in a form of a parable, he says this, the king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. That's how connected he is to humanity. That's how, that's how he has expressed himself through us. In fact, this table reminds us that God himself, in order to redeem mankind, what did he do? What form did he take? The form of humanity. He took on humanity to be with us, to walk among us, to reveal God to us and to pour into our hearts who He is. As we come to this table this morning, I hope that you will see these elements and this event not as something to be worshipped in and of themselves, but as instruments and tools and a ceremony that points us back to God Himself, that we would worship Him as we partake in this. That the bread and the cup are not to be worshipped alone, but the bread and the cup are the tools that point us back to Christ. That we wouldn't get lost in the beauty of the elements. That we wouldn't get lost in the beauty of the ceremony. But that we would be lost in the worship of God Himself. Would you take the next few moments and as we sing this next song, prepare your heart to partake in communion and ask yourself these questions. Maybe, maybe, you've, maybe you're not living with eyes wide open. 
Maybe you have, de- have developed an image of God that limits him and says, God, you're, you're good in these areas, but I don't want you to touch this area. And God says, that's idol worship. I cannot be limited. Maybe we've been manipulating him and maybe we've defined him in ways that are inappropriate. Take this opportunity and search your heart as we prepare to receive communion together. Let's pray. Father, in these, these moments, confirm upon us who you are and who you want us to be that we would not be people who have already defined you, but that we would be people who are actively searching for you. Guide us in this way. Amen.